We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and happy opening day 2023. We could finally let the stench of 2022 air out and look forward to a new season of Chicago White Sox baseball as they start in Houston against the defending world champions and facing old friend Jose Abreu. But it's still a happy day. And in this episode, we're going to preview that first series of the 2023 season. As special guest, current Houston Astros TV analyst and Game 3 2005 World Series hero, Jeff Blum will join the show in a moment. He'll provide his insights on the Astros, and Jeff shares what he thinks about the White Sox heading into the 2023 season. But first, there's the whole who is on the White Sox roster and some updated news on Liam Hendricks' status to discuss. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis, and hello, Jim. Happy opening day, and congratulations, man, on your curling championship in Kansas City last weekend. Thank you. Yes, and happy opening day to you, too. Uh, Tying up some loose ends of my curling season. Have one more week to go into Monday. But yeah, went out to Kansas City, uh, play a curling club that uh, I had never played and a couple of uh, my teammates had never played before. We all wanted to check it out. My wife has family in Kansas City. Love going there. Love going to the Negro Leagues Museum. Re-upped my membership there. Went to Arthur Bryant's around the corner. Had... uh, uh, my my son had his first uh, Kansas City barbecue for the first time, wolfed it down. So it was all good. And then, yeah, we went 5-0, uh, and oh, uh, had some crazy wins to begin with, and then ran the table, you know, and ended games early with handshakes, uh, you know, really satisfying wins. So, yeah, first time I've ever won a uh, bond spiel. First time I, uh, at least the, the skip my team had ever won one. So small field, only eight teams, uh, you know, not a massive tournament by any means, but Got to start somewhere, and then that's the first one for me. Nice. So when you make it to the Winter Olympics, we'll remember this. The first win in Kansas City sets you down this yeah, path. Yeah, and, and, and Jared Allen will be pissed because he's been training every day in Nashville for that. And, uh, yeah, somehow if I somehow got around that and ended up getting there, 
he would be unhappy and and I have to face his wrath probably. <laughs> I, I would love to see that. Uh, <laughs> but that's awesome, Jim. So congratulations in your first curling championship. And uh, let's talk about the White Sox here. Before we preview the weekend series, there is some things to discuss when it comes to the White Sox roster. I fired up the Sox machine live stream and talked about the rumors that you could check out on that video on youtube.com slash Sox machine. But the rumored bench, thanks to the reporting from Daryl Van Scowen and James Fegan, Hanser Alberto, Romy Gonzalez, Gavin Sheets, and Sebi Zavala. That's the White Sox bench. We have a good understanding who are going to be the regulars, the starting players. But looking at the White Sox bench, Jim, what are your initial thoughts? Well, it's a lot better with Romy Gonzalez hitting six homers in spring training. Like halfway through spring training, when he was batting one something and only had a you know, a homer and and no real uh, yeah plate discipline that stood out and the defense was okay around the diamond, but really not showing any kind of particular skills. I wondered what his staying power might be if he would start the year in Charlotte, if he'd have Larry Garcia on the bench along with Hanser Alberto, but uh, he's really turned it around. He, he's, he's shown hints, uh, strong hints, I would say, of what the White Sox had been talking about all off season and spring training about how this guy had really been having one of the best winters of any individual. Like I'd never heard a an individual winter hyped as much. Like I, I'd heard like you know guys adding tons of muscle, guys losing weight, guys getting in shape, but just in terms of like progress made over the winter, uh, you know, in in terms of like making himself more major league ready, like. The, the talk about Gonzalez is really something. So I was struck by that and really want to see what that meant. And, and by the end of the spring, he was showing at least a little bit of that that makes me want to see more. So it looks better now. Um, Billy Hamilton hanging around, not exercising his opt-out and, and heading to Charlotte. That helps because like if they find out that, hey, uh, we really need a backup center fielder or we could really use a pinch running specialist because these new rules are crazy. They can go to Charlotte uh, and get that guy and adjust the bench afterwards. So there are ways to tweak it right now. I think my biggest question is how Oscar Colas looks in center field. And then also, you know, down the line, if Alberto is having like a 2022 Larry Garcia type season, how attached is Pedro Grafal to him? Will he look elsewhere? Will that be a, a case to go to Lenin Sosa or whatever uh, infielder in Charlotte's holding it down? So Opening uh, the season, you're breaking camp with this foursome, like not bad, ways to tweak it, but uh, there could be some staying power if center field doesn't get out of control. I think this bench is weird because you don't really have a natural outfielder on the bench. Romy Gonzalez is learning. He's got the athleticism and we've seen that in spring training, Mm -hmm. but that's not his natural position. He's learning on the fly how to play in the outfield. It's one thing learning (laughs) during spring training and he showed good plays in the outfield. That gives me more hope than let's say Gavin Sheets being an everyday outfielder that we've seen the last couple of years from the White Sox trying to, to force that square block into the round peg uh, into the round hole, I should say. But this this is a weird bench. There's there's no true outfielders. If Luis Robert has to take a day off, it's probably Oscar Colas moves over to center field and either Romy Gonzalez or Gavin Sheets going into right field. So it's one of the weirder outfield 
combinations, but we saw some weird configurations last year where AJ Pollock is playing center field and mm-hmm. you got Andrew Vaughn in left field and Gavin Sheets in right field. So it's not that bad. Uh, Sebi Zavala was the clear backup catcher. It's just a bit weird. And, and I don't know how much playing time Gavin Sheets is going to get Jim. Like, even if you have a tough righty against the White Sox, and we're going to see tough righties this upcoming weekend between the White Sox and Astros, you're telling me you're going to bench Eloy Jimenez and you're going to have Gavin Sheets be the DH? I, I don't think so. So I'm not quite sure just how much playing time Gavin Sheets is going to get mm-hmm. early with the White Sox with this current bench configuration. So to your point, with Billy Hamilton sticking around, after like three weeks, let's say, Gavin Sheets is getting like no playing time, then that's where I would swap out Sheets for Billy Hamilton and at least bring a natural outfielder who can provide some expertise when it comes to pinch running in late game situations. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think with Romy, you know, it's a case where the White Sox having played so many guys out of position probably makes it easier to say like, oh, you know, he's going to be fine out there. Like we had Andrew <laughs> Vaughn out there. We've had Gavin Sheets out there. We've right. had Daniel Polka out there. Like we've had all these, um, you know, Nicky Delmonico. I remember his first month in the outfield. Like uh, the White Sox have seen some stuff out there. Like <laughs> they've, been, they've been knee deep in it. So like Gonzalez having actual foot speed and showing decent reads uh, and, and having a little bit of outfield experience, the minors, um, th- this isn't like, they're not uh, just throwing him out there. Like he's had a little bit of a warm up uh, to get out there. Like not the craziest thing they've ever tried. They even like you know, had Danny Mendick out there, like is probably like the first uh, go around, like a, a splash of Yolmer Sanchez here. Like they've they've moved infielders to the outfield before, and I think Gonzalez is as equipped for it as anybody they've tried of these out of position players. So that probably helps like that. Their standards are so low that Gonzalez looks like he should, uh, should ace this remedial class. Basically Um, as for sheets, I can see him providing some value. Like if they're still a little bit worried about Andrew Vaughn's back Mm -hmm. or if you'll Oscar Colas, like just, if they don't want him to have like, um, you know, two bad matchups in a row or something like that. Just there's a little bit of cover for Colas too. So it's not just him playing every day in right field against every single righty. If the White Sox feel like there's something they need to correct, or if they just want him to sit on the bench next to the coach and, you know, help him uh, just, you know, slow down the game if it starts getting out of control for him. So I can see some opportunities, but yeah, to your point about just, you know, if everybody's healthy, if, you know, Vaughn's fine, Jimenez is fine, Colossus is, is, is treading water uh, successfully, then yeah, the opportunities dry up. He's got, uh, you know, options to where they can send him down and, you know, only four times a year, but like they can, they can move him up and down. Uh, I, I do think it makes sense to like withhold Hamilton, uh, for when you know that the you know, the plate appearances are mostly set aside from rest here and there, or maybe a guy getting banged up because like he's a specialist and he can be great on the right roster. But if you need that guy to play a lot, he's suddenly not that great. 
And if he's the only guy who can cover center field credibly, or if he's the only pinch runner and, and just, uh, if they want to pinch run early and he has to take a key at bat late, like there are ways that he can, his presence can make a mess. Like thinking back to 20, uh, 21, uh, when he hit for himself and, and Tony LaRusso was just looking for a single, uh, you know, there are ways that can get complicated. Like that year was so charmed for Hamilton and everybody that, um, you know, Billy Hamilton upset nobody at the end of the year. Like everybody loved having him around, but I think there is a risk of carrying him all season long when you don't exactly know what his role is going to be and how the game is going to get to him or how to manage a guy like him so that the game doesn't see too much of him. So, uh, yeah, I think that probably in about two to three weeks, uh, assuming everybody's healthy, uh, you can probably see at least one player swapped out to optimize uh, the roles and make sure that the playing time is, you know, you're not just having a guy uh, getting a start a week just because like he's not doing anything. So start him. Yeah. I think after the home series against Philadelphia, that's the third week in April before they head to Tampa Bay for that road trip to Tampa Bay and to Toronto. I think that would be worthwhile for the White Sox to kind of look at the bench, see how the playing time was divvied out in the first three weeks of the season because Gavin Sheets still has some player development to do for himself. And if he's sitting on the bench and he's got like 12 at bats <laughs> by the third week of April, mm-hmm. I just think you could, there's a better use of Gavin Sheets' time. But again, this is the problem for a player like Gavin Sheets when you got Andrew Vaughn and you got Eloy Jimenez and you got Jake Berger behind you that you're kind of redundant. So you got to really stick out in a positive way. And, you know, he didn't have, he didn't light the world on fire in spring training. So I can understand where he's at in his predicament. I just think the bench is weird, but we're hoping that everybody stays healthy for the Chicago White Sox. We don't see the bench all that often. There's going to be some roster shuffling anyways for the Chicago White Sox, especially in the bullpen. Gregory Santos ended up winning the eighth and final spot in the bullpen, which is pretty impressive as Nick Avila the White Sox took him in the Rule 5 draft during the winter meetings. The White Sox did not add Nick Avila to the 26-man roster. The procedure then is that the White Sox have to offer Nick Avila back to the San Francisco Giants for half the cost, which was $25,000. And Rick Hahn confirmed in his press conference in Houston that the Giants did accept that $25,000 offer. So Nick Avila has returned to the San Francisco Giants. So that's the end of the Nick Avila tenure with the Chicago White Sox. But speaking about the White Sox bullpen and trying to come up with ways of freeing spots of the 40-man roster, I thought naturally it would just make sense, Jim, that the White Sox would place Liam Hendricks on the 60-day IL as he battles cancer and he recovers. And they're still hopeful that he's going to join the team, but that's one way you could open up temporarily a 40-man roster spot for someone. Well, Rick Hahn spoke to reporters, like I mentioned, Houston, And the news that Han delivered and that what the White Sox have been receiving is that recent tests have showed that Hendricks is recovering well from cancer and the results have been promising. And the White Sox did not place Hendricks on the 60-day IL because they think it's a real possibility that Hendricks can rejoin the team within 60 days which is absolutely terrific news on a personal level for Liam Hendricks that to be getting these positive results 
and that he's progressing well and that there is a real possibility that he's going to be pitching in real baseball games in May. Sure, he needs his own version of spring training and he'll rehab probably with Garrett Crochet down in Charlotte, uh, which will be an odd scene for the Charlotte Knights to see a world-class closer like Liam Hendricks pitch here and there. But that was a surprise to me that Hendricks did not go in the 60-day IL. And it may be surprising to a lot of folks outside of Liam Hendricks that, yeah, he could be rejoining the White Sox maybe by Memorial Day weekend. Great news, of course. Like, the one thing that kind of stuck in my mind is, well, you know, they could add him to the 60-day IL later. Like, it could be a case where, you know, they get to, like, late April and, like, say, right. Billy Hamilton or Jake Marisnik or somebody like that. Just, you know, the, uh, that, that kind of case where, like, oh, we need a center fielder because Luis Robert pulled a hamstring or something like that. Like, that's an, it's still an option for him. And they could say, like, yeah, it's looking like late May. It might only cost him, like, a week of playing time. So, and, and given just, you know, what he's coming back from, we don't mind taking that week to have him recover. But, you know, for the time being, like, sure. You know, if he's responding well, if he is really champing at the bit to be part of the White Sox plans and he's doing everything possible and spirits are high and the reports are great. And he's, you know, I guess he's doing some long toss in spring training. I saw, you know, reports of you know him participating here and there in drills and just throwing practices. Like if his arms feeling good, you know, just, just keep all that incentive there to keep the spirits up and then, you know, uh, cross any roster bridge when you get to it. So that, that's kind of how I, uh, look at it, but just that—that's one thing that kind of stuck in my mind was like, yeah, they they could still do it later, and it might be the right call, especially like if Garrett Crochet is on schedule or ahead of schedule, uh, ahead of schedule faster than Hendricks to where like he might return in mid-May, and Hendricks is a week or two behind that you could see like one of those guys moving to the 60-day IL to accommodate somebody. So that move is still there, but if you don't have to, and the timing was such that, you know, Rick Hahn promised an end-of-spring update on Hendricks uh, for the courtesy of not getting pestered uh, with questions about it during spring training, letting the recovery and, and, and the treatment take its course and, and just provide one, you know, large update at the end of spring training. And, you know, it was a good update to, to provide. So... That's kind of how I look at it. It's moves still there, but you know, hopefully they don't have to use it, and hopefully Hendricks is back, and and hopefully like it's a case where you know he's back at full strength, or if he's not quite at full strength, like they have, you know, there's not an emergency to where like he can pitch in medium leverage situations, get back up to game speed, while Reynaldo Lopez or Kendall Graveman's holding down the ninth inning, uh, Joe Kelly even, and Hendricks can win back his spot as soon as like. The, the the numbers are where they're at the spin rates the the velocities uh the carry like that's all there for him and sure like Liam's back uh I just hope it's not a case where like you know it, it's uh they want him back because there's an emergency in the ninth inning and then if he's not back all the way just you know an uplifting story goes to complicated so but that's on the road so right now great news and uh hope it's a case where the White Sox stay healthy and they don't need that 60 day roster move and he can continue to just you know have that carrot dangling to uh to get well soon and to uh you know finish his treatments and get back on the field yeah if you want to be optimistic the white Sox in late may early june could be adding both garrett crochet and liam hendricks to their bullpen which if they pitch like they have in the past that will strengthen 
the bullpen for the Chicago White Sox at a time that they may need it, depending on just how deep into games Mike Clevenger and Michael Kopech can get into and to making sure just the overall health of the starting pitching for the Chicago White Sox that if they need reinforcements in the bullpen. Sounds like the White Sox may be getting that sooner than later, not only with Garrett Crochet, but also with Liam Hendricks. So fingers crossed that does happen, especially for Liam, who has had to deal with a lot this offseason. Well, let's get ready for this weekend series. After a quick word from our sponsors, Jeff Blum, the 2005 World Series hero and current Houston Astros analyst, joins the Sox Machine podcast next. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Join us on the Sox Machine podcast to help us preview the Houston Astros series. He's got a couple of podcasts. He's got Bleacher Blums with David Tuttle, part of the Blue Wire podcast podcast network. He's got Believe in Astros on the Believe podcast network. You could hear him call Houston Astros games. And he is the Game 3 2005 World Series hero for the Chicago White Sox. It's Jeff Blum. Jeff, thanks for joining the Sox Machine podcast and happy opening day. Happy opening day to you, too. I appreciate everything you're doing for all those White Sox fans. And, of course, it's always good to reminisce a little bit as we get ready for this 2023 season. So from a Houston Astros perspective, I want to start the conversation with its six straight appearances in the American League Championship Series. They're the defending world champions, and they are expected to at least reach the ALCS again in 2023. I think I speak for most of the American League, Jeff, when I ask... When are the expectations going to be too heavy for this organization and they slip and fall? Because it's just fascinating to me that we are realistically talking about the Houston Astros being the favorite again to win the AL West and be there as the team to beat in the American League Championship Series for possibly a seventh straight season. You know what? I wish I knew the answer to that because we've been through so much transitioning out here in Houston because it started... You know, right after those 2017-18 seasons, you started to lose guys like George Springer. You started to lose the Justin Verlanders, the Zach Granke's, uh, Garrett Coles, you know, Carlos Correa's. And, I mean, there's an all-star team that was on these ball clubs when this winning started that have now been moved on via free agency. Uh, They weren't able to keep some of those guys. Some they were able to. But it's also a credit to how they drafted and developed in order to let those guys move on. But I don't think anybody anticipated a Jeremy Payne to do what he did, which is phenomenal. 
But at the same time, it's just, it's a mentality. It's a, it's an organization that's really created a culture of expectation of winning. And I think the way that the guys handle themselves at the 26 on the 26 man roster really kind of overflows into those levels below them. So that when they do get to the big leagues, there's also that expectation and anticipation of winning and they all go about their business. It's, it's, it's truly become um, at least from my vantage point, a machine. And that machine is just oiled by proving everybody wrong. And they just continue to use that. Yeah, not just they're the defending World Series champions. I think three of the minor league affiliates also won their championships last year. It was it was an incredible 2022 year for the Houston Astros. They win at every single level. And what's also fascinating, there's a new GM. So Dana Brown, former VP of scouting for the Atlanta Braves, because everybody knows that's what the Houston Astros needed. Another excellent talent evaluator to join the front office. (laughs) What differences do you expect to see the Houston Astros operate under Dana Brown? Well, first of all, I knew it was a good hire when, like you just, you know, just kind of insinuated when everybody around the league went, good Lord, did they really need to pick this guy up? And uh, (laughs) I think Dana's actually, you know, he, he, he comes from that scouting side of baseball. And a lot of people who are into the analytics might say that scouting is a little archaic. And that's what I actually love about Dana Brown is that he does recognize and does embrace the scouting. And scouting means putting your eyes on guys, seeing what they're able to do, what's their body movement like. And then if you like something, then you go over to the analytics side and say, does it match up? So I kind of like the way he, his philosophy is scout first, add the analytics and see if they match up and then we'll move on. But this is a guy I think coming over to this organization is going to do a very good job in, you know, in, in being a little more aggressive. I think what we lost over the last three years was that aggressiveness because Jim Crane likes to win. He wants to win. He understands it sells tickets and merchandise and he needs a GM that when he shows up and says, I want this guy, can you get him? Dana Brown's going to be that guy that's able to go out there and do it. But you also look at Dana Brown and where he came from, he did a great job in Atlanta. They developed wonderfully. They did a good job of trading for some key pieces, signing them to long-term contracts and using the free agent market. So he's, he's a nice mix in a situation where the Astros should be expected to be on the back, maybe the backside of this winning window, but he's in a good spot to make some things happen here. Yeah. The contract extensions, there's been early rumors about on that front that, Oh my gosh, the Houston Astros going to lock up everybody now. Is Kyle Tucker next? Is he the next one in line, do you think, to get a big deal from the Houston Astros and and stay there for the majority of his career? If you would have asked me that right after the Jose Abreu signing and before we saw these massive Trey Turner-type contracts going around, the Xander Bogarts, I would have said, Mm -hmm. yes, there's a possibility. But I think now with with how some of this money is being spent and the years that are being asked for, I think there might be a little more work ahead for the Astros to accommodate what Kyle Tucker might be asking because Kyle Tucker is kind of that star on the rise in major league baseball. And they're lucky to have him for a couple more years under club control. But I think the idea of the shift going away, playing in this ballpark, uh, the, you know, the bases getting bigger in the, in the pitch clock kind of, Everything kind of aims or angles in the direction of making Kyle Tucker, believe it or not, a better ball player. And I think he's kind of using those those numbers to say, you know what, 
considering the contracts that are being handed out right now and considering my opportunity without the shift being implemented and the ability to steal more bases, I might be asking for a couple more years and a couple more bucks. Yeah, if Tucker plays more than 145 games, I think he's a legit dark horse contender to win the American League MVP, right up there with Aaron Judge and Jose Ramirez. I think we're going to see like a seven-war season out of Kyle Tucker in 2023. You mentioned Jose Abreu. He's the elephant in the room for White Sox fans. How does Abreu fit into this Astros clubhouse? How did the spring go for Abreu, and what kind of impact are you envisioning Abreu will have on the Astros lineup? First of all, I'm I'm extremely excited because being on the broadcast side and watching what Jose Abreu has been able to do in his career with the Chicago White Sox, you're going, good Lord, this guy's at the plate again with two more guys, double in the right center field gap, two runs score. This guy is, he's a beast in every sense of the word. Uh, you know, one thing I looked at was his uh, hitting with runners in scoring position, career 300 hitter, both with two outs and without two outs. So this guy has been consistent. He's a run producer. And now putting him in this Astros lineup where they have a high on base percentage, they have a tendency to pass that baton, so to speak, that nobody's really trying to do too much. And I think he fits this the the mold of what the Astros are trying to do beautifully. But everything I heard about Jose Abreu was off the field. You know, the work ethic, uh, his, you know, the cerebral approach to the game of baseball, understanding what you're trying to do at the plate. He, he's better defensively than I think most people give him credit for. He's only, he's going to get better, I think, here with Joe Espada working with him. And he, the thing that really surprised me is you're coming into a championship organization and these guys were excited to have Jose Abreu join the situation they're in. And then you hear the interviews from Jose Abreu where he's saying, I want to, I want to join a championship team. And here he is. But this guy was showing up at five o'clock in the morning, getting in the gym before some of the, you know, some of the core guys that have been here for a while. So he kind of established that early on that he is going to to mix in. He's not going to take over the reins. He's not going to put expectation on himself and he's going to go out there and rake and do what he's done. But he looks like he's in great shape. He looks comfortable. He looks happy. And that can sometimes be a scary thing when you move a guy like him into a ballpark like Minute Maid. From my perspective, he looks very motivated. The last time, Jeff, I saw him this motivated was 2020 and he won the American League MVP. Like he, I think he's going to have a monster year. I think he's going to have a monster year. He really could. Uh, (laughs) White Sox fans are, that's what, that's what we're going to do. We're going to sigh a lot. Uh, Bad news on the Astros front, Jose Altuve. That was an unfortunate injury in the world baseball classic. When do the Astros expect Altuve to come back and who's playing second base when he's out? I'll, I'll attack the who's going to play first, you know, just it's an easy it's an easy question for the time being to answer. And right now you've got two options for the Astros. It's Mauricio Dubon. He's a little bit he's a little bit smaller, considerably smaller. I mean, David Hensley, who's the other option, is six foot six for crying out loud. He's wow. he is a massive human and he doesn't really fit the mold of that second baseman, but he has experience playing shortstop so he can play the middle position. And there's really two differences between these two guys. Dubon's a little bit uh, slighter, quicker, uh, better footwork, uh, can turn a double play, gets there in good fashion. Not necessarily a good stick to have in the bat, but if he can create contact and keep the ball in play, he could create some opportunities. But David Hensley, he's just a big guy. And you take away the shift and you start to rely on athleticism up the middle where you're going to need it. And that's where Hensley's kind of, you know, handcuffed a little bit because he is so big. So you're going to have to really keep track of where you're putting him on the field 
He may not play with a Framber Valdez or a Hunter Brown who are heavy ground ball guys. He'll be out there with a Christian Javier who hit, you know, gives up a lot of fly balls, a lot of pop-ups, try and protect the defense that way. But uh, offensively, he puts together a great at bat and he's got those big, long arms. He's got some decent power every once in a while to sneak one out. So you're going to have to pick your spots you know, where, where you put those guys in, but there's not that definitive guy that's going to go out there every single day. And for Jose Altuve, I'm hearing the surgery went well, but at the same time, if it's eight weeks before he can grab a bat, it may be another month after that before he can get on the field and actually play, because it's one thing to, to get the strength heal up. You've got to be able to grip the Mm -hmm. baseball. You've got to be able to grip the bat. And I do have concerns with that being the top hand, the thumb that he broke. That's the hand and that's the joint that absorbs all that impact when you're making contact. With the White Sox and Astros playing again in May, that, that might be the White Sox are lucky and they don't get to see Jose Altuve in the 2023 season unless the two teams meet mm-hmm. in the postseason. For the Astros probable pitchers, we're going to see Framber Valdez on Thursday night, but Christian Javier is going to take the ball on Friday. I think everybody in major leagues knows well about Valdez. He's one of the best in the American league, but Jeff, can you talk about Christian Javier? Because I feel like he's one of the more underrated pitchers in major league baseball, and he could be primed to have a breakout season, much like we saw on the South side last year with Dylan Cease. No, you're exactly right. I mean, that would be a wonderful comp for a guy like Christian Javier to have that kind of comparison with Dylan Cease because Dylan Cease's stuff is off the charts and he is, He's setting up for, you know, his own Cy Young run here in 2023, and we'll get to see that on opening day. But at the same time, Christian Javier is a guy that was kind of a a swing man, would be your long inning reliever out of the bullpen, would give you a couple of spot starts. But last season, we saw him go out there and really start to chew up some innings and have some, you know, just some breakout performances. He started the no-hitter in uh, Yankee Stadium against the Yankees. He started that no-hitter that was in the World Series. So he's done remarkable stuff, but he's done it kind of in a quiet manner, and that kind of fits his demeanor. His nickname is El Reptile. He's just calm, cool, collected, doesn't sweat, just continues to come out there. And you see the ERA, you know, maybe in the you know mid threes, high threes. But the number that jumps is his strikeout rates. He does a phenomenal job of creating swing and miss when he's only throwing 93, 94 miles an hour. And you kind of wonder how or why, but he's a spin rate guy. His four-seamer has some of the highest spin rates in the game. And what that does is it doesn't create that downward trajectory that you traditionally see. It'll actually kind of flatten out a little bit and ride through the zone. And you'll get a lot of swings underneath, a lot of pop-ups and create swing and miss. Um, in spring training, his slider looks good and he's developing a little bit better changeup every time he goes out there. And that's part of what makes him so good is that he's unflappable and he's aggressive with the fastball in the zone that guys can't get to for some reason. No Lance McCullers in this series, which is a sigh of relief for White Sox fans because Lance is always terrific against the White Sox. What's the situation for Lance McCullers and what, when are the Astros hoping that he'll be able to rejoin the rotation? Um, I I think it might be sooner than it was last year. I think Lance, you know, he puts so much stress on that stress on that arm because he's got such good breaking stuff, but in order to get the spin race that he does, there's obviously a little more torque than maybe the standard pitcher. Um, and Lance is also one of those guys that you want to have healthy, 100% healthy, because you can't go out, have him going out there and finessing his breaking ball because he's going to lose a lot of his effectiveness. So I think the idea with Lance is, He recognized, you know, maybe the forearm or the elbow wasn't where he wanted it to be and decided to kind of back off on the throwing program, which tells me that he's going to work his 
basically work his ass off to get the muscles around that that joint stronger. And when he's ready, he'll start ramping up, getting on the mound and getting out there. But I haven't heard a timetable. I'm not going to speculate, but I know that Lance is going to be working really hard to get back on that mound. And once he does, and I, you know, that's also the idea too, is to make sure that when he does come back, he's ready to go because he is a vital part of that rotation that could create a lot of depth. When watching the Astros during spring training under the new rules, how did the team adjust to some of these rules? Did they struggle with the pitch clock? Are you seeing more stolen bases given up? Or are the, were the Astros more aggressive during spring training with the shorter bases? Or I should say the larger bases, but shorter base path. Yeah, I think they were I think they were a little more aggressive as far as offensively. You're going to see Kyle Tucker try and push and go for that 30-30 season if he's able to do it. You know, that'll obviously help his contract talks. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Jose Altuve, even at 32, 33 years old, still has pretty good wheels. When he's healthy, he'll be able to run more. You know, but it's a it's the guys like the Chaz McCormicks or you know Jeremy Pena. Are they going to be able to create moments when they can take off and run a little bit? And that's what I'm kind of curious to see during the season too. Is can some of these guys run themselves into scoring position, which would benefit everybody? But I think with these new rules, with the pitch clock and that bigger base, you're going to put a lot of pressure on your on your catchers. They're going to have to be able to react quickly to calling pitches, but they're also going to have to be able to be very good at the catch and throw because these guys are going to be very tempted to start taking off and trying to take advantage of the shorter base path. And that's where I think, you know, Martin Maldonado, one of the best in the game of coming out from behind home plate, throwing runners out. He's obviously proven his worth beyond numbers because you ignore his batting average. He's so good behind the plate. So the Astros are in good shape in the sense that they have Martin Maldonado behind the plate. And hopefully, you know, some of what he does rubs off on Yiner Diaz. And now we're finding out Cesar Salazar is going to be the third catcher on the team. So it's kind of interesting to see what they do with some of that depth. And then finally, from an outside perspective, Jeff, what are your thoughts about the Chicago White Sox heading into the 2023 <laughs> season? What are you expecting to see now? Because last time you and I, Chad, was on your podcast. We talked a lot about mm -hmm. Tony Larusa. Tony's not here anymore. <laughs> it's Pedro Grafal. So what are your thoughts about the White Sox heading to opening day? I think the energy is going to be off the charts. And I really hope that the South side is excited about having Grafol at the top of that. Um, the pitching staff is great. I think that you, if you can get those guys to perform to their potential, you're going to be fine. The bullpen looks good. It's always a matter of scoring runs, but I know there's been some maneuvering as far as defensively, you know, moving guys around and maybe putting them in their natural positions, getting Andrew Vaughn a little more comfortable, but, the White Sox are always going to hit and I, you're going to get Tim Anderson for a full year. Hopefully everything he's had off the field injury wise and personal wise, he gets out of the way and he's able to go out and play because I think he's the best player. I know Carlos Correa is in Minnesota. Obviously I have an affinity for him, but I've been on the Tim Anderson bus for a long time. And I still think he's, he might be the best player in that division. So I love what he's able to do. And if they can start getting around him and rallying behind what Tim's able to do, I think offensively they'll be fine. And secretly, I hope that everybody in Chicago knows this. I've kind of been on the back burner, kind of cheering for them a little bit. Obviously, the matchups in the in the postseason, I have to shift a little more towards the the uh, Houston side. But I've been watching the White Sox from afar, and I've kind of liked what Rick Hahn and those and those people have done over there to give the uh, give the White Sox a chance to play in that American League Central, which should be a gettable division. It's always interesting because it just seems that they beat up on each other. 
But uh, I hope the White Sox do uh, get off to a good start and we can see some, you know, fireworks down there on the south side. Well, hopefully not too good of a start for those Houston Astros fans that are listening. I know. Uh, (laughs) As the White Sox are in Houston for the first four games before heading home for their home opener against the San Francisco Giants. You can follow Jeff on Twitter. He's at Blummer27 and all White Sox fans should do that because he's a huge part of the White Sox winning the World Series in 2005. Jeff, again, happy opening day. Have fun calling the White Sox and Astros series, and we'll stay in touch as the Astros and White Sox again play in mid-May. Absolutely. I appreciate coming on, Joshua. Thank you, man. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Jim Margulis now rejoins me on the Sox Machine podcast. Pretty cool to have Jeff Blum on the show to talk about the Houston Astros, and he's still pretty high on the White Sox heading into 2023. And let's talk about that White Sox-Astros series now from a White Sox perspective. Your White Sox probable starter starting on Thursday night at 6.08 p.m. Central Time is the scheduled first pitch. This is our playback watch party along with our friends from the 108 that you could watch along with us at Playback TV. Sorry, playback.tv slash Sox Machine. Uh, and the game's going to be on ESPN. Dylan Cease will take the ball for the Chicago White Sox against Framber Valdez. Friday night, 7 o'clock on NBC Sports Chicago. It's Lance Lynn against Christian Javier. Saturday and Sunday are 1.10 p.m. Central starts. Lucas Giolito will take the ball on Saturday. And Mike Clevenger will take the ball on Sunday against Luis Garcia for Houston. And it's the opening series, Jim. But the White Sox do have five straight games as they play four straight in Houston, no rain delays, and then they come home on Monday to face the San Francisco Giants. The importance of not burning out the bullpen early. How big of a factor is this going to be and how much focus are you going to be paying attention to when it comes to pitch counts and just how deep Cease, Lynn, Giolito, and Clevenger get? That is a... a complicating factor. And it was funny just to, to go back to Jeff Blum real quick. Like I remembered our previous conversation with uh, Jeff and uh, David Tuttle. Tuttle. Uh, he, he <laughs> what I remember most from the conversation is that David was just like really irritated by Tony La Russa. And by that time, like <laughs> we'd made peace with it. And he was saying like, no, this really sucks for you guys. <laughs> like you should make peace with it. And sure enough, he was right. So yeah, that was just a, uh, uh Fond memories of that conversation. But yeah, going back to today, LaRusa is no longer with us. Uh, yeah, the bullpen. Uh, it is a big test. I guess the good news is, like, when you look at the bullpen, it's a fairly deep unit, like a fairly 
experienced unit. Like Gregory Santos is new, but everybody else is more or less tested to some degree. Maybe you have Jose Ruiz in a you know medium leverage situation when he hasn't been great in those. You hope that the World Baseball Classic has sharpened up his game. He's ready to take the leap. But everybody else, like G- Jimmy Lambert's probably like the next weakest reliever, and he had some good moments in medium leverage. So I, I think with the bullpen, I'm not too concerned. One, because like this is a case of Pedro Grufal not setting a closer. Like he's not going to feel pressure to use like the same closer three days in a row. Like Kendall Graveman did not respond well to back-to-back days last year. Like he doesn't have to pitch in three straight games should they have like three one-run leads. Like they'll be, Rafal and Ethan Katz will be able to disperse that work. And then when it comes to like, say, sixth, seventh innings, like outside of Santos and like he's got the stuff to maybe be like a really good medium leverage guy this year, like he has the stuff probably of a high leverage guy, just doesn't have the command or control for it yet. But like, you know, if he made like some kind of jump into being a, a, you know, guy getting an occasional save situation while Hendricks is out, like it wouldn't shock me just because the fastball's there, like the slider's really good. Just location is, you know, has eluded him at times. And there are always guys like that, like one simple fix and all of a sudden they're unhittable. And, you know, the, the Rays do it all the time. Why not the White Sox? So, uh, yeah, that's kind of like how I look at the bullpen, though, is like Joe Kelly probably should get an important situation. Kendall Graven should get an important situation. Aaron Bummer, like he had a late start, but like he should get some tough lefties. All these guys can do it. Lopez, another guy can do it. So that's one benefit of having this kind of uh, deep uh, bullpen, if not like one with an entrenched hierarchy that Griffal can spread out the workload and not feel like he's going to get second guessed or not second guess himself because like it's a brand new season. Like Joe Kelly, you know, like when you realize like he wasn't healthy last year and the 2022 White Sox were a terrible place to show up not healthy, given how they managed every other injury that popped over the season, like, you know, he could have a big year. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he does. I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, whether Ruiz makes a jump. Like a lot of guys in this bullpen, I'm looking forward to seeing, like the results might not be what you want to see uh, just because of, you know, they're, they're, they're mortal humans and they haven't quite been fixed as like tried and true high leverage guys, but they all should get chances over the course of the season. And first series, why not? Well, here's my concern. My concern and what I do not want to see when we talk on Monday recapping this series is that out of 36 innings, the bullpen pitched 20. That's not what I want to see. Like the starters have to carry half the load here. And I think that's a fair expectation, right? Cover the 18 of the 36 innings. We know that they're going to be capped and pitches thrown. Probably 90. I'd be shocked if anyone throws 100 pitches, but I'm hoping even though this is a still very good Houston Astros lineup, even without Jose Altuve, it's still a very dangerous lineup that Cease, Gilito, and Lynn can at least cover five innings apiece. So that gets you to 15. And then Mike Clevenger, if he gives you three plus innings, uh, then you take that. Then the starting pitching covered half of the workload. I just I just don't want to talk on Monday, Jim, that, oh my gosh, Pedro Grafal had to use the bullpen for 20-plus innings in the first four games of the season. And what's the reward? A flight back home and Michael Kopech, who has been just I just I don't know if he's going to be ready to go for the home opener based on what we saw late in spring training he had some virus that he was dealing with maybe some sinus issues his velocity was varying greatly uh, towards the end I don't know if he is 100% ready to go to to take the ball and pitch five innings so that's my biggest concern the first five games of the White Sox is that 
we may see a lot of the bullpen early. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely there, especially like the way Clevenger wrapped up his spring training, you know, as you mentioned, Kopech being up and down, like even like Dylan Cease, just with the way the Astros operate, uh, you know, watching them during the postseason run last year, like they they make pitchers work. It's the difference like between, you know, watching the Astros and watching the Phillies versus watching the White Sox is it's just grueling for pitchers to face them over the course of a series. You might get them, you know, you might have their number for a day or two. But doing it for four days straight, um, or at least you know, even like three days straight, is really tough. So yeah, the, the challenge is there, <laughs> certainly there. Uh, on one hand, it, you know, you don't envy uh, what the White Sox have to do, but on the other hand, like they are facing an Astros team without Altuve, and that's something you'd, you'd rather face uh, uh, them when he's not there. So. Getting it out of the way, at the very least, the trip to Houston. Yeah, and the White Sox, let's talk about their terrible history at Houston. So since 2017, the White Sox have played 20 games at Houston. And I picked 2017 because the Houston Astros have reached the American League Championship six years in a row. And in that streak of their dominance, and this also includes the two American League Division Series games in 2021, the White Sox are four and 16 at Houston. The average score is Houston 5.4 runs, White Sox 3. And if you think that's bad, the last two seasons, the White Sox are 1 and 8, <laughs> and they have been outscored by 33 runs in those 9 games in Houston. The one win was the blowout victory against Justin Verlander last year, Jim. Yep. I was going to say that. Made it count. <laughs> they did make it count. But man, this is like the worst place for the Chicago White Sox to start a season to get the bad mojo of 2022 out of the system. Pedro Grafal pleading, let's just all focus and enjoy the presence. Please evaluate us now and not in the past. And you are starting in a place where this roster for XYZ reason, they just play really bad baseball there. Any hope, Jim, that it's going to get better in these four games against the Houston Astros in 2023? I think so. I mean, like, first series of the season, like the Astros, you know, they don't have Altuve. They have their own pitching workload concerns to work with. You know, should the White Sox make uh, Framber Valdez work or Christian Javier work? Like, you know, they could have the same thing where they're trying to manage their innings and they're throwing medium leverage situations, low leverage guys, because they don't want to burn them out. They have four games in a row as well. So, you know, there are some situations to where like, yeah, if they, if Valdez throws 35 pitches in the first inning, all of a sudden, like, you know, they're behind the eight ball and they have to decide about, um, you know, winning today versus playing tomorrow. So I can see it being the case. And, you know, there's also, I think, We've seen it with the White Sox and Astros and, and, you know, over the two years to where like there are, you could say there's no such thing as a good loss, but there are good losses and bad losses. Like there are competitive losses. Like you have to, you know, every team wins and loses 60 games. It's the other 42, you know, that saying, but like, you know, there are cases where like, you know, there are, uh, you know, mm-hmm. five to three losses where just one bad inning did them in, but otherwise they were competent, you know, and, and, and you know, made no mistakes, just got outplayed or there was a grand slam. Uh, you know, one bad pitch uh, is the reason why that the game turned around. Like, you know, there, there are losses where just the White Sox are not outclassed, just outplayed or, you know, outsequenced or uh, balled and bounced the right way, two inches outside the chalk down the line. Like, 
you, you can understand those games. So, you know, the White Sox have played so many bad games in Houston. <laughs> like if Grafal, you know, makes his debut and the White Sox lose three out of four, but they're only outscored like, say, I don't know, like 15 to 11 or something like that. Like, that's fine. Like, you know, that's, that's okay. Like, you know, the White Sox have seen far worse mm-hmm. and, you know, they'll go home, uh, you know, with a one in three record, but playing fine. Like we've seen what it looks like when they're just overwhelmed in a terrible uh, matchup. And uh, that makes it easier to process losses to where just like they're ordinary losses. They're running the mill, won't remember them at the end of the year type losses and not maybe the way to hype up the start of Pedro Grafal era saying like, Hey, they lost like a normal team loses, but uh, that's, you know, there's a lot of room between like the White Sox coming back to Chicago for the home opener triumphant and, and the White Sox coming back with their tail between their legs. They could come back just shrugging their shoulders and saying, well, that was a series and, and nobody really thinking that much of it, even if the record's not really what you want for the first game at guaranteed rate field. I think if they split the series, that would be a fantastic result, mm-hmm. especially with how poorly they have played there. One in three, I think is the expectation. I think many would say, yeah, the expectation is that Houston wins this series against the White Sox. Them starting 0-4 and heading home, and if they just look totally outclassed by the Houston Astros, I think is going to set off a very different vibe in which White Sox fans entering Guarantee Rayfield are probably thinking the most fun I'm going to have today is tailgating in the ball in the in the the parking lot because uh, I don't know what to expect inside the ballpark against the San Francisco Giants after the White Sox got wiped by the Astros. Like if the White Sox seriously think that they are a team that could contend in 2023, everybody in the American League knows the road goes through Houston. Yeah. Way too early to be thinking, oh, this is a statement win, a statement series win. Mm-hmm. But if you want to start off on a good foot, I think if you can split in Houston, that's phenomenal. That Then yeah. you know that you can at least go toe-to-toe against the Astros because the last two seasons – you've got pants you've gotten (laughs) pants by the Astros like the run differential is negative 33 in nine games like yeah let's not let's not see that this weekend and if they could win the series that would be phenomenal I I think that would be really eye-opening but I'm hoping they split one and three is the expectation don't get swept that that will just bring really bad vibes going to the home opener on Monday. Yeah, I don't want to learn Pedro Grafal's cliches that soon. Yeah, we still got 158 games left to go if you get swept. Yep. <laughs> well, speaking of Pedro Grafal and where we're going to end it as far as this episode, it's a bit of a guessing game because, again, new manager. We don't know as far as how he likes to stack up the lineup. So we're going to play the Let's Guess Pedro Grafal's lineup game. He has given some clues in his uh, recent media dealings and spring training that he's not one that likes to make a lot of changes in the lineup, that once he gets guys comfortable, he likes them to stay comfortable. So they're, they have the expectation to know where they're going to be in the lineup uh, game to game. And we can argue about if that's the right strategy or not, but I understand where he's coming from as far as making sure guys are comfortable and uh, that if they're expected to see their name in the lineup and they deserve so, their name's going to be in the lineup in the spot that they are expecting. So I can understand having that type of comfort level. 
So, Jim, everybody's healthy. Yohan Makata is healthy. Rickon confirmed that. He will be available in opening day. So let's guess Pedro's lineup against Framber Valdez. We're first guessing here, so it's a lefty on the mound. How do you think Pedro Grafal could stack it up? Okay, here's my lineup, and we'll see how much we differ. Tim Anderson leading off. Oh, man, really? No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I got Tim Anderson. <laughs> Luis Robert Jr. batting second. Yes, okay. Andrew Benintendi third. Yep, we're three for three. Eloy Jimenez, fourth. We are four for four. Andrew Vaughn, fifth. We have a miss. Okay. I have Mankata, fifth. Okay, I have Mankata, sixth. Okay. Who do you have, sixth? Grandal. Okay. I have Romy Gonzalez, seventh. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Let's stop there. Where's Romy playing? Right field. You have Romy Gonzalez, in the opening day lineup in right field, somewhere in the distance, I hear our colleague Patrick Nolan, Pino's head burst as he's <laughs> screaming into the void of why Oscar Colas is not in the opening day lineup. But okay, so you got Romy Gonzalez batting seventh against in right the field. lefty, against a tough lefty. That's why. Yeah. Uh, Grandal eighth. Okay. Who do you have seventh? Seventh, I have Andrew Vaughn. Okay. I have eighth, eighth, I have Grandal. You have? Eighth, I have Oscar Colas. And then ninth, Elvis Andrews. Yep, I, I agree in there. So we most of these we got on. Like, we agree yeah. in the top four. We agree in the ninth. See, the the, the reason uh, I have Gonzalez batting seventh mm -hmm. with the righty is because if they switch to a righty, easy pinch hitting situation. Oh, okay, got it. And at that point, like, you look at, you know, you kind of put Dusty Baker in, like, I don't know if you can trap Dusty Baker because, you know, he's seen five billion games. But in terms of like, <laughs> you make it like a little bit uncomfortable for him because like if you bring in a righty of Andrew Vaughn, sure, like, you know, we've discussed his issues, the righties and whether he's passed him. But then you have Mankata switch lefty. You have Gavin Sheets or Oscar Colas lefty. Grandal switch lefty. So all of a sudden, like, that's a really tough bottom uh, part of the order to just send any righty out and, and have easy at bat. So that's why I like Gonzalez batting seventh there because I don't count on him playing the whole game, but mm. if he's pinch hit for, he's pinch hit for like in a very useful situation uh, to where like all of a sudden it's tough. Those are, those should be three not easy uh, at bats for any righty in that situation. I, I do like your thinking, like I'm following your line of logic here. And to me, it does make sense. I mean, when we were thinking that maybe Jake Berger was going to be on the bench for the White Sox, we had conversations about a week ago where we could see Jake Berger DHing and Eloy playing in right field because of Framber Valdez. And there you get a little sticky, especially in the late game situations, if you want to bring in somebody to be a defensive replacement, because then you're essentially taking Eloy's bat out of the lineup and you're, and you're still stuck with Jake Berger, who is not on the same level as hitter as Eloy. But at least in this situation, I could totally buy it that if they, because the Astros are very right-handed when it comes to their bullpen, when they go to the bullpen, that's when you bring in Oscar Colas to play right field. I, I could totally see that. Yep. That's, you know, I thought about it because I'd like to see Colas play the first game too, but like Valdez, you know, Cy Young candidates, like he's, He's up there. I'm also curious to see like just how he operates, um, you know, with the 
pitch clock and such. Another thing I'm looking forward to watching, Dylan Cease and uh, Valdez with the pitch clock, just, you know, whether yeah. it throws them off, uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch up close when the games count and you have like a full capacity crowd for opening day. Going to be a lot of fun. But yeah, that's kind of how I uh, I see it is just like real easy pinch hitting situation. Easy for Grafal and just a little bit tricky for Dusty Baker in just terms of like understanding what the trade-off is when he goes away from Valdez in a certain situation. Now it'll be, it'll be interesting. Again, if Oscar Colas does start the game on the bench on the opening day, it's three straight righties, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. He is going to see starts this weekend. Yep. So again, Jim and I will be joined by our friends Beeflow, Trevisi, and My Sock Summer from the 108. We'll be having our watch party on playback, which will have the link in the first pitch post on SoxMachine.com. It's free to sign up. If you haven't signed up already on playback, all you have to do is just confirm either your cable or streaming subscription to watch the game along with us. And we'll provide live commentary so you can listen to us talk during the game rather than listening to Roger Clemens, who is going to be the, the guest uh, announcer along with the ESPN crew. I, I do want to hear from Eduardo Perez because he's one of Pedro Grafal's best friends. So, you know, you at least have Eduardo mm-hmm. Perez in the White Sox corner, especially Pedro's corner. So there'll be some White Sox chatter, but it's going to be a lot of Houston Astros chatter uh, on ESPN. If you don't want to listen to that, you can listen to us as we break down the game live with you. And again, that is going to be on playback and we're going to be starting that stream at 6 p.m. Central Time on opening day. And I'm very excited, Jim. I'm very excited. We're here. The 2023 season, real baseball to talk about. Let's go. I'm excited too. Like, uh, it was weird to me once the world baseball classic ended, just how inconsequential spring felt. And like spring is always like inconsequential unless like there are, you know, season altering injuries but like just when it comes to you know i'm used to being more engaged with spring training i'm used to seeing like more webcasts more tv broadcasts everything like we were detached from seeing the white Sox in general and then when it came to the world baseball classic like those games were a lot more important so many white Sox were playing in those games it felt like watching those games was preparing for uh just how the white Sox look in opening day so like i you know this is probably the least i've you know, watch the White Sox during spring training as a unit uh, since the webcast start started. And uh, like, I think part of it too is just like, w- after what happened last year, like games that don't count really don't count. You know, as long as they have like the guys who are uh, expected to carry the, the, the bulk of the load in the lineup and the rotation healthy, like these are the games that now matter. These are the games that we were waiting for. Like these are the games that we can start talking about. And, you know, Griffal can start talking about because like, you know, they're all talking about how they want to redeem themselves and they want to talk about last year. Well, now we have this year to talk about, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what this year brings because there are reasons for optimism. There are reasons for intense skepticism. And like I'm 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 looking forward to, you know, hopefully being right in some regards in terms of some of my optimism. And I'm hoping forward, you know, I'm more hoping that I'm wrong in, in the cases that we are feeling like a little bit uh, dour or like feeling like we've seen this before. Like hopefully with the, you know, Grafal here with, uh, you know, new hitting coaches, with new trainers, the biomechanical uh, station in the clubhouse like that they talked about when it comes to updating uh, what the White Sox want to do with uh, where their personnel are. Like 
there are reasons that to think like, well, if the White Sox are going to do it different this year, they have different guys and, and, and different uh, methods in place. So I'm really looking forward to just letting the games happen, letting the data amass from these games, letting moments happen and seeing just, you know, what the patterns are. And of course, we'll be covering daily on SoxMachine.com so you can look forward to the game recaps and the morning after posts that will happen throughout the weekend. And for our podcast listeners, especially if you're new, the White Sox Wake Up Call will be coming back next week as uh, we get into the full swing during the regular season. And of course, we'll still have the Monday shows and we'll have Sox Machine Live if the internet bandwidth is on our side uh, and we don't have any streaming issues. We'll definitely love to bring that back as well so you guys can see us and you can interact us with us live after each of the White Sox series during the 2023 season. So when it comes to audio, video, and writing, we're pretty much every single day from here on out. So buckle up, folks, and let's have a fantastic 2023 season. We'll have our staff predictions Thursday morning on SoxMachine.com, and you guys can play along as well. Some of you already have in the previous podcast with Lawrence Holmes. And one programming note, Sox Machine, again, if you didn't listen to the past episode, there's going to be Sox Machine Fridays on Bernstein and Holmes on 670 The Score. For those local at 670 AM, for those not in market, you could listen to the shows on the Odyssey app. So make sure you download the Odyssey app. Jim will be on the show on Friday and I will be joining Dan Bernstein and Lawrence Holmes at Cork and Carey for the home opener on Monday at 1 p.m. So both of our appearances are at 1 p.m. So definitely Check that out on Friday and on Monday. But here we go, folks. That will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. We look forward to seeing you guys later tonight during the playback watch party. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, welcome. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. We also upload the podcast into our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Machine, where we also cut together video highlights and do other video work as well. So if you could subscribe there, that would be great. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow Follow me on Twitter at SoxMachine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and would like more and help support us, you could do so at patreon.com slash SoxMachine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have new SoxMachine swag, they're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, where you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash SoxMachine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.